Welcome to Sports Scouts. I'm Joe Yutzer. I'm Michael Rob. And we're recording this episode 13 on Thursday, May 23rd. We're going to talk Sherwan Howard, NBA playoffs going into the finals, PGA Championship, hockey going into the Stanley Cup final, and more. But first, Michael will give you some scout scores. Yeah, so although it is unfortunate the girls lacrosse team fell in a tight loss to Deerfield 11-10 last night, ending their season, congrats on a hard-fought and successful year for them. And boys volleyball had another great season, also came to an unfortunate end yesterday in a three-set loss to Barrington. There was even more crucial action yesterday. But yes, yeah, some of it, some of the results are more exciting than the last two I listed. Of course, I'm talking about the boys' baseball team and then a 7-6 comeback victory against Prospect, a walk-off double, which was fantastic. I I followed it live on theforcecout.com. Whoever oh, had really, that going, yeah. that was great to see, and a lot of people were tuning in for that. So that, that was great, and congrats to them. And they will be taking on um, the late the winner of Lake Zurich versus Deerfield, and that will be on Saturday for the regional championship. So. There was more action, too, on yesterday. The boys lacrosse defeated Glenbrook South in another 7-6 to final score. The scouts moved onto the sectional final tomorrow against St. Vider or Glenbrook North, the winner of that matchup. Congratulations to girls soccer on their recent regional championship win. Unfortunately, the scouts lost Tuesday to Vernon Hills, but it was certainly a great season. And lastly, congrats to Ben Rosa, Keenan O'Connor, Jonathan Phelan, Tyler Traxel, and Jahari Scott and the boys' track and field team and their state qualifications. So good luck to them this weekend. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. That was scout scores. Um, really, I mean, the things are kind of wrapping up right now. So, um, you know, for the, teams that, we, for the teams that we didn't mention uh, for the spring sports that are wrapping things up for the year, um, yeah, good luck to you guys. Congrats to you guys on um, hard-fought seasons. Uh, but, yeah, if you want more on the latest in all of HS sports, Check out the latest articles in the Four Scout. Michael has a boys volleyball article that I checked out that was really, really good. Um, Bill Avery has a lacrosse playoff preview. AJ has baseball playoff coverage uh, with an article and a dugout episode. Uh, make sure you check those out. Um, and, yeah, as usual, if you didn't hear the sport you wanted to hear, we screwed up somehow. Just send in the scores and informative news to sportscoutspodcast at gmail.com. So, Michael, can you give it a shout-out? And let's move on to national sports with Show Me What You Got. Okay, so my show me what you've got um, is, you know, pretty obvious what it's probably going to be, um, but it's uh, become somewhat of a national story, and it's something that I've grown into being very, very excited about. Uh, but that is, of course, uh, Jawan Howard becoming the head coach um, at the Michigan basketball program, replacing John Beeline. Um, the deal finally being finalized yesterday. Um, certainly a big story uh, for a number of reasons. Jawan Howard, of course. Um, a former Michigan basketball player and basically the founding member of one of the most famous re- famous recru- recruiting classes in sports in the Fab Five. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting um, selection. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's somewhat of a risk because of his lack of head coaching experience, even though he's had an awesome career as an assistant in Miami um, in the NBA. Um, you know, I'm growing to love this because – he has always been a great character for both the program and also for the Fab Five. You know, the rest of the members of that, um, you know, of that starting five and that team as a whole um, points to Juwan's leadership um, as being very, very important to the team and as being something that's shown through ever since the beginning, even when he was a young college kid like that. I mean, Juwan Howard practically recruited the rest of the class after he was the first one to commit. So, I mean, you know, he's 
definitely has those leadership skills that lead to what could be, you know, a very, very good coach. Um, of course, there's the coming home aspect that's cool about it. And then, yeah, I mean, already starting to get some serious recruiting pull um, simply because, you know, Dwayne Wade is raving about it on Twitter. LeBron James is raving about it on Twitter. So uh, it's definitely a big thing. It's also a big thing as far as uh, the relationship between the Fab Five and the university, which has been notoriously um, somewhat, I don't know, like definitely pretty disconnected. And now things seem to be kind of coming back together. So it's an interesting uh, new era that's beginning with Michigan basketball here and what should be a very, very interesting hire. Yeah, that, that's a good perspective on that. And it's going to be definitely different than Beeline, of course, being at Michigan. Yeah. But it'll be fun for Michigan fans to watch, I guess, to transition. So for me this week, I'm going with – I'm not sure. If, it really hasn't been that big of a story, but there's there was this prospect. I did see this, you did This see is it, a yeah. really, really good story. It's kind of cool, actually. This kid named Carter – Carter Stewart, he's a 19-year-old, so he got drafted eighth overall last year by the Atlanta Braves in the 2018 MLB draft, but he decided not to sign with the team after they kind of lowballed him an offer, thinking that he was hurt. So he went to junior college, and after this year, he was projected around to be around a second-round pick, and then he decided not to take that because it would have been less signing bonus money than he would have even got last year. So instead, he decided to do something that no one else has really ever done from going from America to play for like a team like in Japan. So he will head over like seven from his home in Florida. It's over 7,500 miles away from home. So, but why is he doing this? Because he gets a six year contract that is worth over $7 million. But instead of making pocket change money in the, in the minor leagues for four to five years, he can go over there for six years and then head back when he's 25 years old and he can sign with any team that he wants. And I think this is actually a really smart move. And there's a lot of um, future implications that could happen because of this. Cause this could force Major League Baseball to re- reassess like their their um, compensation for players in the MLB draft, and I think this is actually really smart because I think possibly more amateur players could do something similar to this, as knowing that with the arbitration like rules that we have right now in the game, players in the minor leagues until they get up to the show aren't making that much money right now, and he will earn a, it's it's guaranteed that he will at least make more than. $3 million more than he would have had in being in America playing in the minor leagues. And even if he does get called up early, they still project that it's over $3 million more than um, his decision playing in Japan is results $3 million more. So I think this is smart. He can come back. And that's just in um, instead of having to go to free agency at when he's 28 years old, he can come back when he's 25. And that's already – and that's saying $3 million more until he's 28 if he would to stay in the major leagues. So that – by coming back when he's 25, then he can rack up a lot more money too. For so, I think this is a really smart move, and I think that this is going to make Major League Baseball reassess definitely what what their I guess compensation is for players and possibly try to give them more money. So, so kind of a loophole like this doesn't happen again. Yeah, I mean it's it's a conversation that's you know kind of built for they don't scout like this, and it's one of those things that we talk about in that part of the show as far as just like big league developments and how sports are changing over time, and you know what's good and what's bad and what should be done. Um, this is a big story for that reason. Um, definitely something new that's being brought into the concept of getting into the MLB, and you know. We, I, I mean, we talk about this all the time. I talk about it all the time. You know, players are getting more and more autonomy over time, for better or for worse. And this is just another example of that and another way where um, players can pick where they want to play. So it's going to be interesting to see how the MLB responds to this because 
I definitely think this is going to look appealing to younger baseball players going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. For with, sure. with the way the, I guess, the minor leagues have been for such a long time, like it's it's been obvious that the players, until they hit free agency, aren't making a lot of money. Like just look at Javier Baez or Chris Bryant. Like they're still not making that much money right now, mm-hmm. considering the sure. the talent that they are. And it's it's kind of it's it's kind of come to the time that players are starting to think of other alternatives to I mean I guess better their future for their families and themselves so I think this is kind of a cool story it's kind of more a um I guess the other segment that we have um don't scout like this so I think this is kind of pairs with that but I just think that it was kind of a really cool story that I should put yeah, that in. Show definitely me what a good story week. to bring up because um yeah I mean it's one that we're seeing a little bit and it deserves a little bit of a um you know it de- it deserves to be put on notice because it's yeah. gonna have, um, you know, it's gonna reverberate in the MLB, and we're gonna have to see how. And like they you said too, to for other sports too, players just want to, I mean, kind of go where they. I mean, I guess just they want to play. They don't want to be told where they want to play all the time. They right. Wanna, they want to make their own decisions. So I think this is another another sp- different sport that like basketball that we've been talking about. But right, it's kind of the same. I mean, we've talked about the MLB and players picking, and that's the thing. We've I think we've kind of. I mean, at least I have. I've, I've put the MLB in a place where they're trying to avoid that a lot more, um, considerably. Yeah. Um, with the whole Bryce Harper thing and the whole recruiting to the Phillies kind of move that he did, I don't remember, a couple months back, and we talked about this. Um, we know the MLB's position on players picking where they want to play. It's a little bit less, um, definitely a lot less um, tolerant than the um, than the NBA is of that. So yeah, having the arbitration, knowing going that until you're 28, see yeah. what they do. Yeah, because like I said, you're 28. He would have to wait if you'd stay here, and that's and that's kind of been what it's been for a lot of these players. They have to wait for so long until now that we see guys that are almost 30 that they aren't getting the same kind of money that I mean, I guess guys that are a couple years younger are getting. So it's kind of unfortunate for them, and this is this could be the new trend possibly for for guys until baseball m- makes their own decision for in america so yeah i, I think it's kind of cool but we can move it's on. it's a big now. one yeah. for sure all right let's move on to news and we will start news today with uh a simple story uh golden state warriors swept the portland trailblazers the fact that i don't really have much of a description behind that is <laughs> basically describes what that series was and kind of what this headline means so michael what are your thoughts on this uh western conference final in the nba i think it's still a great uh, season for the Trailblazers, but just, giving them a lot of shout-outs on the show, so they, we, they, I, they do deserve some credit. I did say that I thought they could give the Warriors a run for their money, and they did play tight in some games. I mean, but I just think that it's just like we talked about. We talk about this almost every week how the Warriors are the Warriors, and everyone else is just way below them. So, right, Kevin with Kevin Durant or not with Kevin Durant, they are by far the best team, and it's kind of. I mean, we got, we got a good series going on in the Eastern Conference right now, but I just feel like that it's kind of useless right now, energy for them. I mean, I, mean, I guess it's, it's cool if one of the team makes the finals for them, especially the Bucks having not been there, I don't think, ever. Right. So I think That's that... That's an interesting one, and we'll get to that. That'll be a cool story, but at the same time, you just think in the back of your head, like, I don't think there's any way that you can beat the Warriors. So I just feel like that it's it's all this build up for them just to get probably possibly blown out of the water if Kevin Durant were to come back. And even without him, they're... Possibly just as good as the team without <laughs> we him. We talked they, about that. It's they just play crazy better to think collectively about. without him, I believe. So, it's just kind of been a. I, I don't really have words for that because it's just been it's just an unbalanced in the league and five straight finals for the Golden State Warriors, I believe. I, th- mm-hmm. I think it's five. Now I, I think yeah, it's, yeah. it's got to be five now. So 
it's just been a unbalanced and not really that much fun. I mean, to watch as a fan, I've always loved watching um, the, the NBA Finals and especially like in the LeBron era when he was in Miami. That was cool. Kind of the first kind of super team, I guess, like that kind of build up. I mean, that was fun, but it didn't last for for that long like the Warriors have. And now I think kind of like in right, college way, football. Five years. Five years. Yeah. We've kind of seen that it's been Bama versus Clemson, and it kind of gets boring after a couple years. And we've seen the Warriors five years now, I think just for the fans' perspectives that aren't Warriors fans, it's just been kind of kind of boring and seeing the same thing every year, just it's, it's just, just not fun. Yeah, it's it's the issue with the NBA playoffs, in my opinion. But I mean, at the same time, I respect I do, them. I do feel like I watch the finals disproportionately compared to every every other playoff game. So I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of mixed about it, but I, I definitely think that um, it will be helpful that the Warriors are going to be facing someone new. That's going to be helpful. That's true. Um, especially if it's Milwaukee. Um, yeah, if the Bucks get up there, then that's going to be um, a lot more captivating, I feel like, than than just seeing, um, you know, just, just living in the era of Warriors-Cavs every single year. Um, now we're kind of beyond that, but, yeah, there still is the common denominator of the Warriors, and that might not end up being the best thing, but... We're going to have to see what happens going forward as far as um, how the NBA is going to look um, without them if that ever happens. Right. Um, because, you know, they're, they're already dealing with a playoffs without a figure like LeBron James. And it's having an interesting impact uh, for sure. Uh, but there's something else out west that is, that is, of course, keeping things together. And that's the Golden State Warriors. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see how the NBA develops over time yeah so kind of lead into that with the simplicity happening out in the west the east may be a little more interesting of course with the raptors and the bucks now tied at two and the next game is tonight i think it's tonight i am yeah i'm pretty sure pretty sure it's tonight but either way that game that i think it heads back now to milwaukee am i right i i think i should have looked it up before it's in milwaukee Milwaukee, right yeah 7 30 yeah so with with the bucks um playing well at home so what do you think joey like who has the edge right now in the series having seen that the Bucks won two at home and then the Raptors win two at home like what do you think is going to happen here with the next home game for, I for want, the Bucks I hate to say this and I but I want to lean Toronto and the reason why is simply because like just simple momentum it's not really that complicated but I do think that um it will be way more firmly decided in like the first 5 minutes of this game it you know it, we're going to we're going to see how things get started and which team is going to prove their dominance so far in the series. Um, because I, I do think it's interesting how uh, the Bucks go up to nothing and things are, things are kind of interesting there. And then we get, you know, we go up North and then we get two Raptors wins. And really, I mean, the thing that's interesting about the Raptors storyline for me is Kawhi Leonard is just kind of so distant, such a distant star from the rest of his team. Yeah, in a way that doesn't, I mean, happen too much, especially this late in the year where you get like, you know, you might get secondary stars, but really, I mean, the Raptors, they really kind of, it all comes down to Kawhi Leonard. Um, so that's what's kind of interesting about them. And, you know, it's it's interesting to see that, you know, he leads uh, the Raptors to two wins and now it's an evened up series. So, yeah, like I said, it's going to come down to the first, like, 
five minutes of this game. It's going to be super crucial for the series going forward. Um, you know, which team's going to set the tone? Because back when it was in Milwaukee, um, I thought Bucks it was were, over. Yeah, I thought I thought I'm that like, the Bucks yeah, were. I don't know if they could even get a win this series. The yeah, for sure. That is, but they yeah. seem to be running away with it. But um, you know, once it was in Canada, things changed. So yeah, Kawhi's been if they, unbelievable. If they can bring that on the road with them, if the Raptors can bring that on the road with them, then that will be very very important for them and could definitely switch the series pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, it's going to depend on how things are established at the beginning of this game tonight. Yeah, not like you said, it all goes through Kawhi. Just a d- disproportion, I guess, from him to the rest of the, the team. is just It's just remarkable to see how, how well he's played. And, of course, he put his team his team on his back, taking that shot in Game 7 in the semifinals. So, I mean, either way, it just it, whatever happens in the game, you, you know that Kawhi Leonard is going to be it's gonna be why the, why the Raptors won or lost. So I think it's going to be – it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a really good series now. I think that it could possibly go seven now. I th- I was thinking that I didn't. I really didn't even think that the Raptors could could pull out a win. I just thought that with having seen how the Bucks blew them out of the water in Game One mm-hmm. and then Game Two as well, I just think that I just I just thought that it was over. But now I just Kawhi is just it's it's just been unbelievable. Like you said, how he's just turned. He's been great all year, but. I mean, I mean, brought it to another level that we haven't never seen I don't, him have I mean, in, in this playoff. We've, we've talked about you know stars carrying a team before. This is this is kind of makes previous situations where that's been true kind of laughable because I feel like he's just so he's just so distant in um, you know yeah so distant in stardom and leadership from everybody else on this Raptors team and they're going so far. So it's kind yeah. of a rarity to see that and. You know, the fact that they got another two wins is, you know, surprising and um, definitely encouraging for Raptors fans. So, I mean, uh, we're going to have to see who yeah. will take control pretty early here. And By the way, um, I, I find Drake hilarious. The new Spike Lee, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, for sure. Um they, like, all, see the, st- all yeah, the antics I, he's doing by the sidelines. On the court, on the yeah. Court, yeah. I mean, uh, I, th- I don't remember who said this. I think it was Tony Kornheiser said this about him. He's like, he's, he's he's like Spike Lee doesn't doesn't quite have the look of Spike Lee, but I think he's like way more. No, it was Wilbon who said this. I think it was. I think he said that like Spike Lee was like, you know, he had the look, and you know, he was kind of um, an icon at Madison Square Garden. But like the thing about Drake that's different is Drake is so much more active, <laughs> and Drake is so much more of an active, aggressive presence. He's when the coach shoulder anything's going on, right? Exactly. Like that's 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 <laughs> it's just a strike. Um, but yeah, I, I it's, think it's, it's pretty. Kind of, it's kind of comical. I think. So. Yeah. No, I think it's hilarious, but I think it's it. I think it's also pretty funny. Crossing I think the it's, line I a think it's the, not, I don't, You think it's kind of crossing the line? I mean, I don't know. that's a good. That's a good conversation. I mean, I I don't know really. It's I like think, he's on the team right now. The way right. how close he gets to them, but I, I mean, think, I guess he is. A I super think fan, it so. might be kind of crossing the line, but at the same time, um, I think it's something. It's something that's kind of breaking the mold of the NBA and something that's a little bit exciting and different. And I think that that's what might, you know, as a person who isn't normally that attracted to the NBA, it's something interesting to spark, you know, a lot more people's interest, kind of, you know, have something new to watch, I guess. So yeah. it's it's kind of fun. I think it might creep over the line, and we're going to have to see what happens in the future here mm-hmm. um, and, you know, how the NBA responds to it in the future. Um, you know, I don't know, but it's, it is kind of, 
it is kind of fun to see super fans. Yeah, um, I just wanted to add one more thing for going back to Kawhi. Of course, he people could be saying, well, he was an MVP candidate with the Spurs. What are you talking about? I'm just saying that now that being the guy there. Right, that's what's with, so different. With the Spurs, he had other guys around him, such like Tim Duncan was still there. He was there. part of a Manu, large franchise. You know, yeah, so he that's had a difference. Tony Parker, too. Like He had a lot of guys around him that he could that he could learn from him. But now he's just, it's a whole different situation from being in San Antonio that he has no one that's even close to the talent that he had there. I mean, of course, Pascal Siakam has been great for them. The like, disproportionate good, amount of leadership the, that he's yeah. picked up. So like, it's just been phenomenal. Huge the, change, but the change that he's had yeah, for him. So I just think that it's going to be a good series. At least we have something to, for the NBA for this series at least, but we'll have to see what happens, whoever wins. But, yeah, it'll be. I Hopefully we get a series next round, but I don't know. We'll yeah, let's go game by game for this round still. So either way, it's going to be an interesting yeah. um, storyline. So um, yeah, yeah. going to be the Warriors against some small team, which is kind of cool. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, while basketball is currently going on, that's kind of important. Cubs baseball um, is beautifully awesome right now. We recognize that before. Um, I think that they deserve to be in the news though because you know they're they're doing really really well. Uh, the walkoffs just continue to pile on. Javi Baez had a loud single against the Phillies on Tuesday. Um, what else is going on? Jake Arrieta, um, Return. returning to Wrigley, um, getting a standing ovation that was pretty awesome, pretty emotional, and well deserved. Um, Anthony Rizzo breaking the Budweiser sign like Kyle Schwarber did years back. Um, yeah, he did his own version of that last night in another uh, big win in that Philly series. So I mean, the Cubs are really on fire right now, and uh, things are exciting. So Michael, what concerns should Cubs fans? Um, look out for improvement um, to make sure that the Cubs are still looking this good going forward and I when it matters more. I think that more or less, I think that, of course, the com- it, the com- it's everyone's going to go straight to the bullpen, of course. I mean, that it still is. That's still the thing. Something yeah. needs to be addressed there that we just don't have. And I, you, you can't fault anyone. I've said this before a couple episodes ago when the team was struggling still, and then they started to turn around. But it was I, – I went back to you can't blame Joe Matt on this because he really hasn't had that – he doesn't have that role as Chapman anymore, that Wade Davis guy that he can rely on to throw bullets out of the bullpen and come the ninth inning. And getting Pedro Stropak, that'll be big to get him. Mm-hmm. Steve Shishak so has... So much credit to Joe Madden for... Yeah, like, just kind of doing what... Making what, that problem... Yeah, making it work. Yeah. Like, making that problem still be... still be Having that problem still be a problem and somehow this team is kind of still performing it, on yeah. such a high level. I mean, I don't think there's a better coach. There's There are a few better coaches in sports, I feel like, that can adjust and adapt better than Joe Madden can and I think that that's one of, that's yeah. the reason why he's one of my favorite managers um but yeah I mean it's definitely a problem that's going to need to be solved eventually but yeah Pedro Strop coming back will help yeah Pedro Strop coming back will be a big factor of course Brandon Morrow you can't rely on him coming back I don't even know when he's scheduled I think he's he said he wanted to come back sometime before the end of the year but who knows when that could be but Steve Shishak has been phenomenal for them of course another save for him last night and he's he's been in a lot of big games. So a uh, thing I'm kind of a little worried about though is just overusing him and overusing the pen a little bit because some of these guys, I mean, aren't used to these high leverage kind of situations. Kind of like Steve Shishak, he's had some moments, but he hasn't been relied on at to be the closer. So getting getting a guy like Strope back who has had closer experience the previous years that'll help that'll help keep Steve um, fresh for any situation he gets thrown into. But I just think that the team is it's just it's so fundamentally sound right now that. Yeah, I mean, they're they're on pace to top um, 2016's record, which is just absolutely insane. I just, my biggest thing is, like, let's just, let's just take two steps forward and one step back every series 
from here on out. Um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna pick up some losses, but I just hope that this team doesn't get super streaky and start like, you know, looking like they did at the beginning of the year and the middle of the year. And then looking this good again. Or turn into what happened last year. Because that was last year. And that was the issue with last year. So if we can move on from that and we can be a team that's on the rise going into October and, you know, consistently, you know, mostly good, um, then that's that's going to be the way that, you know, they're going to have the most success in the end when it matters. And And credit to the rotation. I think that that has been the biggest, the biggest hit for them for, turning this thing around from where they started in April is take let's looking back that without having guys like um Jose Quintana and Cole Hamels immensely step up their game to being kind of the ace that they were on, on other clubs a couple of years ago like especially Quintana because Cole's been fabulous since he's been with the Cubs but mm. Quintana's been kind of, he was kind of shaky a little bit at times last year and now he's and just now taking he's just, over he's just taken over and it's just been without having the rotation, ha- without without having him or even Darvish too. He's been pitching better. Without those guys, <laughs> never thought we'd say that. Who knows what would have, I mean possibly happen? Giving the bullpen the rest, and they were starting to get thrown into to so many games that they um, should not have been in in the regular season, having to pitch back to backs, to back every night with the rotation not uh, pitching too well. But with the rotation turning things around so fast, giving the bullpen nights off, that has just made it a lot easier for Joe Madden, and there's been less pressure for him to. Um, make make decisions, I guess, for the bullpen, and he's had bigger leads to work with here. And I, I still think that's going to be in tighter games come the end of the year. It's going to be something's going to have to happen at the trade deadline or signing, of course, Craig Crimble or whatever. But I just think that I just think that Joe's done a great job. But it's without the rotation, I just think that I don't know what would have happened with this team. And I think they could have lost themselves early if the rotation couldn't have turned us around, and they did so. It's a big Credit thing. To them. Yeah, that's that's. I think that that's the biggest factor for sure. I mean, even though the batting is just yeah, that too. Chili Davis. I mean, is it gone, woke so. up to a new level. Huh. Yeah, yeah. It's um, been it's been a it's the been other a fun thing too is so Chris Bryant is back for the first time in like years. Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, he he's the Chris Bryant that I remember signing him to be, and um, you know, he hasn't been that way in at least like you know at least a couple of years since so that, since he's on fire that's gotta be the beginning of or end of 2016 it has to be at, at least 2017 20, yeah 2016 i mean you know we're looking at back when he was mvp and stuff you know and then you know it's just so crazy to think back to when you know he was being signed and um he couldn't be brought up um like he couldn't be brought up to the team until a certain period of time and yeah. he was super well hyped and his batting was insane and um, you know, like I, I remember that about Chris Bryant, just how dominant he was and then how good he looked all the way up until pretty much like the end of 2016. So yeah. that kind of faded away. Um, and I'm glad that it's back because it's something that's important, um, to this Cubs team being successful. And that's currently what's happening right now. So that's pretty good. And of good. course, Javi Baez is just the wizard out you, there. Yeah. You can't, you can't, not you just, Javi. it's just unbelievable um, the way he's, I never thought he was, his batting's resurged. That's, that's, what's crazy to me. He's going the other is, way now too. And. Like Javi used last to night. frustrate me so much at the plate. I know it, he used to drive me crazy, and the reason why is because I feel like he would he would basically just try to swing for a home run every, every single pitch, t- every his single first, pitch. His first year of his career, that's all he would do is just like, swing for that the was fences. the first year of his career. That was was that twenty seventeen? I think that that was the biggest factor in twenty seventeen. Was like, oh my gosh, Javi's at the plate again. But like you know, you can't get rid of him obviously because he's such a huge you know fielding presence, and that's so important to the team. Um, but now he's kind of developed into somewhat of a smarter 
uh, player at the plate, which is very, very important for this team. And, um, you know, I'm super, super excited that um, he's kind of matured as a player into being something that's, you know, really, really powerful and really, really helpful for this Cubs team, for sure. So Yeah, he made his debut, I think, what was it 2014, his first year? Um, I think that might have been. I think so. I remember it was against, yeah, 2014, August of 2014. I remember, yeah, remember that game against the Rockies when he he went 0 for 5 that game, but he hit that one home run in the right field, and that was of course the the first hobby moment of many. But he's that, just he's that just that just displays what his batting used to be right there. Yeah, I mean just, that's what happened. Basically, yeah. he would strike out or he'd hit a home run. But now just um, but now he's going the other way. I mean he's he had a walk off single. Yeah. I mean that's the difference, right? Yeah. he's making key Short plays um, that you know get the job done. So yeah, it's, now it's he's just, nice. it's not just luck now. Like in 2014, going the other way, it's just. I mean, he's trying to go the other way, watch the ball in, and he's just had. It's just been a. It's just been phenomenal for him to. There's been pitches too. Just watching some of the games that breaking balls that he would have, sliders that he would have chased a couple of years ago. And now he's just he's working the counts better, getting even walks, which is something that we never would have thought with Javi Baez. Of course, it's still not. Uh, of course, there's still players that can get a lot more than him. But I mean, it's just it's just phenomenal what he can still do with the bat, and he's way over 300 batting average, which is kind of with a guy that strikes out as much as he does, it's just, it's kind of an outlier, but I mean, it works for him. So the way he plays, the passion he has that I think it's just, it's unrivaled for anyone else to it's, even come close. So it's big. Um, okay. So I think yeah. that's pretty much it with the Cubs. So we're going to move now to the PGA. Of course, um, we saw what happened with Tiger. Of course, it wasn't the, the outcome that we, that we kind of wanted, I guess, but right. of course, Brooks Kepka. Got to give so much credit, credit to, to him. What I, a you great picked him, right? Performance. I think you did. Last yeah, week. I picked him. I think, yeah, you did. <laughs> I, I did that. I um, boy, did I pick him right? That's yeah. crazy. He's just been. I mean, he just out. dominated. I um, picked Phil Mickelson. He didn't have the quite the the weekend he wanted, but hey, he made it in the weekend at he least, did. right? Unlike yeah, the, Tiger, but unlike someone, yeah, he missed um, it by a shot, didn't he? Yes, Tiger, he missed yeah. it by a shot. He could have birdied on the last hole um, on Friday. He had a rough back fine. nine, right? That day, he just he just had a rough week, and I, you know, I kind of understand it. I guess kind of the rough to start again. this conversation. I think the thing is, like, I don't think we should be worried at all about him. I think it's fine. Um, I think you know, especially from the fan perspective, like, what more could you want out of him at this point? Like, yeah. he he had the comeback. He proved that. You know, when everything's on the line and he throws everything into it, he can still perform. So, I mean, you know, all the golfing that he has beyond it for the rest of his career now, I feel like it's just a it's just a gift just to be able to watch. And it's just <laughs> yeah. kind of fun to have. Um, so, I mean, there's no reason why you should ever even be worried. But even in the context of, you know, how he's playing and things like that, um, I think that he picked up the lesson that, you know, despite, you know, his body probably having more control over this than he would like, um, he definitely needs to play more consistently. I mean, you know, you can't just expect to, you know, win the Masters and have all that happened after winning the Masters and not playing a single tournament after that all the way until a month later at the PGA, um, you know, which was at one of the hardest courses um, in the country. So, you know, the, the thing going forward is that he's going to have to um, play – uh, play more consistently and put more preparations into the tournaments he wants to go, um, you know, hard into. And I think he's probably going to end up playing at the Memorial in a couple of weeks here before the U.S. happens on Father's Day. Um, and summer's really getting rolling. That's crazy that that's like yeah, in the scope up. of things. I mean, year's ending. That's crazy. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess that's kind of the way he has to look at things. And maybe because of his health, 
he has to approach every year differently where he can't the new major schedule doesn't really help him he can't really win everything because it's kind of close together and he can't play as consistently so maybe he already sees that maybe he thought after he won the masters he's like okay how am i going forward maybe he ruled the pga out of the situation of like i'm going to be able to you know compete in this thing because it was just so close and he knew he couldn't he probably couldn't play before then and maybe he just has his eye on the u.s and he was just planning on playing the pga and the memorial as his preparation for the u.s um in the end i mean i don't know what his thoughts are um I'm expecting an announcement pretty soon that he's going to play in the Memorial. Um, and that's basically what's going to happen going forward. But, I mean, I don't think we should be worried. I just think the thing is he's going to have to adjust his game plan in a way that both fits its health, fits his health and fits actually being able to perform well because, you know, he was basically not there um, on Thursday and Friday when he was playing, let alone yeah, kind of like know, being cut for the weekend. Like you said, we just have to expect less from him now. Being, yeah. I being mean, his agent. And, and I don't see sense. a problem with anything that personally. Is, yeah, any, like you said, everything else now is just more I or mean, less a gift. So His his losses and the way that he was performing pre, you know, the, the, the big, the big you know, headline that happened in April, before that it was frustrating because we just thought we'd never see it again. And that's just what made seeing it again so amazing. Right. But now that we've seen it, um, it's kind of, of completed. It's yeah. kind of completed the the Tiger story. I mean, we even said we kind of wanted him to retire, but then once he did it, we were like, okay, he's kind of fun to watch. We don't want him to go just quite yet. Yeah. But I mean, still, it kind of completes his career arc, and now it's just about like, um, you know, playing things out until the end. But now at this point, like his struggles are probably not going to be nearly as frustrating for anyone anymore. At yeah. this point, I mean, even though he's, you know, I guess the media is going to try to place it as him trying to chase Jack Nicholas right now. I mean, I don't really think that that's um, necessarily the case, um, at least from his perspective and the healthy perspective that should be had from fans. So, um, you know, it's going to be fun watching him, you know, for the rest of his career, but I don't think there's any reason to worry about him going forward, which is kind of relaxing and nice. So, yeah, definitely taking advantage of that. And I think we should probably move on. Um, let's sit down. Um, is actually has not been recorded yet, so it's going to be me from the future that you're about to see, potentially Michael too. Um, we're going to sit down with Mark Smirnov, longtime guest, of course, um, to talk about the Stanley Cup final um, because that's the one thing that we're not talking about here on the rest of the show. But I think that you know it deserves a full segment because uh, Boston Bruins, St. Louis Blues is a pretty fun matchup. So um, enjoy that right now. Hey guys, as I just said, the Let's Sit Down segment with Mark Smirnov on the Stanley Cup Final is coming up right here. Unfortunately, though, in the process of recording, the camera uh, had some technical difficulties, so there's no video footage for this segment. There is audio, though. It is a podcast after all, so that's the main thing. So enjoy this segment, and then it'll come back to video once Michael and I continue on with the show. Enjoy.
Welcome to Let's Sit Down. This is our Stanley Cup Final Preview. Um, joining me today is our special guest, as always, Mark Smirnov, um, who has been covering hockey with us throughout the year, and now things are coming to an end. So, um, yeah, figured uh, we should sit down and uh, preview what should be an exciting Stanley Cup Final. So, Mark, how are you doing today? I'm okay. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, as always. Um, so... Let's take a look at this. I mean, I think the thing we should start with is kind of recapping uh, what led to the Stanley Cup final matchup we have uh, with um, our conference finals here. And uh, we're looking at two pretty interesting matchups, I would say. Um, Starting with, uh, in the Eastern Conference, the uh, Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, And the Bruins pretty clearly kind of displayed their dominance in the series, right? I think it's um, unfortunately, did. yeah, absolutely, yeah. I no, it's um, yeah, they swept <laughs> the Hurricanes and um, they really did sweep them. I mean, it was Hurricanes had a lot going for them, and um, yeah, Bruins displayed dominance. They displayed depth, and um, Caroline had it in them. It's just they kind of ran out of gas. Um, and I like where their franchise is going. Honestly, I, it's fun. It was a great revival this year, a really good culture down there in, um, um, in, uh, in Raleigh. Raleigh. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, out of the East, we got the Bruins. Yeah. And rightfully I mean, so. I think from the point, from the moment the lightning were eliminated really, really early on, it basically the East became what can and can't the Boston Bruins do. And so, um, they pretty much won their way out and ended up being a pretty dominant series. And then on the other hand, um, things were more interesting in the West when you had the matchup between the San Jose Sharks and the St. Louis Blues um, in a six-game series where, I mean, at least for me, what I saw was kind of um, a successful start from the Sharks, um, and the Blues kind of outlasted them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um for, yeah, that was um I mean these were good playoffs. These were yeah. these were really good playoffs and um uh I wanted San Jose to pull it off, I'm not gonna lie. Um mm-hmm. I um San Jose has done a really good job. They've been they've been basically the Tampa of the West, uh in that they've um they've done they've done well in getting a team together in, you know, the past, you know, five, six five six years or so yeah um they got to the final with the penguins i think in 2016 i want to say um Mm -hmm. and um yeah no they had a really good group and um the blues showed a lot of heart and they showed a lot of courage and they really came together as a team which is what they struggled with at the beginning of the season um and they yeah no they they bound together and uh, they got the job done. It was a good. It was a tight series. It was a really tight series. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was back and forth. Um, and yeah, I would have liked to see San Jose come out on top. Um, that, coming from an analytical perspective, and also from a Blackhawks right. fan perspective. Um, and I also would have liked to see um, the Carolina coming out in the East and playing the San Jose Sharks in the final. Um, but I'm okay with it because we have. Um, a really cool, really old school matchup between the Blues and the Bruins in the f- in the final. And mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
That's my opinion. We talked about it on the rest of the show earlier today, but I mean, you know, this is a this is a rematch of 1970, which was the last time the Blues were even in the Stanley Cup final, and that led to one of the most famous pictures in sports, one of the most famous moments in sports, um, and you know, also like I've always said that, you know, my in an ideal world, the the most fun competitive division, just I guess from the perspective of a Red Wings fan. And, you know, Hawks fan as well, like definitely competing with other original six teams and the St. Louis Blues has kind of led to the most fun historically at this point. So, I mean, you know, as far as the new franchises, I think that the Blues have, despite their little success, for sure, um, they've, they've kind of established themselves as somewhat of a historic team. So it leads to quite a fun matchup. Um, Yeah. As far as the Western Conference final go, those go. As far as the Western Conference finals go, um, for me it was just the Sharks um, were the better team, and they, you know, they, they were, were they were they were really dominant. They were a likable team yeah. as far as like I think that you know not only obviously the Hawks bias leads to um, rooting against the Blues, but the thing about the Sharks was the they were they they had a bunch of stars on the team um and you know they're part of a franchise that's been looking to really make their big mark um at least in in the final because they haven't they haven't really done that and they've been constant presence in the playoffs for such a long time and that hasn't happened combined with the fact that there's they're somewhat of a you know clean high energy team that's really really fun to watch while the blues are you know physical and questionable at times and i think that you know while that wasn't Injuries. perfect and yeah, while that wasn't, while that wasn't something perfect and not the most likable thing about the St. Louis blues, I feel like it's what ultimately had them win the series. Cause I feel like just physically that eventually is leads to a lot of fatigue. And I think that's what, that's what the sharks experienced in the end. And um, the blues mm-hmm. kind of outlasted them because of that. For sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I and mean, that's small, how it turned. Right. Small picture um, injuries have been a massive problem in these playoffs mm-hmm. and have ultimately cost teams series. Um, but, um, for sure, looking at the bigger picture of the, the series between the Sharks and the Blues, um, it was, um, for sure, it was a battle between two teams that have been trying to get to a cup final for many years. Um, right. and, um, you know, the Blues have been, um, you know, constantly in recent years getting out on the first, getting out on the second rounds. Um, the Sharks got to the final in a spectacular run a few years ago and ended up losing to the Penguins. And ever right. since, they've been trying to get back into it. So it's um, that w- in looking at it like that, um, for sure, it was a tight series in um, many different facets. Um, mm. Going back to the historical part of it too, yeah, it's really cool to see the Blue Ones versus the Bruins. I mean, it's um, for sure the last time they played. You said 1970. Yeah, 1970. Yeah, um, Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr. That was. That's, I mean, you know, one of the most famous, you know, pictures in sports and um, a, um, you know, a really important photograph for hockey fans and hockey players and analysts. And um, that was a, um, that was a remarkable series. That was, you know, the Bruins, a really good team back then. Um, against the Blues, who around then had just been basically an expansion team. Yeah, the um, Blues history is very interesting to me because they're, you know, they're they're one of the teams in that wave of expansion now at this point, 
the oldest team to have never won a cup. But, um, you know, the, the thing is, is that they experienced a good amount of success right at the beginning and they made their presence known right away. And then they kind of faded off and have, you know, obviously they haven't been, um, in the Stanley cup final since, but I mean, really haven't made true, um, playoff impact until, um, this year, I think, especially relative to everything else, every once in a while, there'll be some type of run, but nothing, um, in the postseason that's been like this. Absolutely. They, they, that's such a big difference. They, and they, uh, they broke through the second round. Right. You know, they got to the conference finals, and from there, you could see that they were determined to get get to the final. Mm-hmm. They had injuries. It was tight. It was like I said, it was back and forth. But um, um, once they were in the third round, they knew that they had a capable team, and that's what drove them home. You know. Yep. So I guess just talking about the uh, conference finals at this point, it's kind of led us into talking about the Blues. I think that the other thing. To mention about the Blues too is the fact that they kind of didn't exist in January, <laughs> so yeah, the the beginning of the season was really rough. For they're them. legitimately, I think they're up there for one of the hottest teams of all time. Like the the turnaround that they made is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, um, the front office was standing in a position where um, they were going to have to make very significant changes, perhaps um, more extreme than many people would expect, considering the kind of powerful roster that they built up over the years but things were looking very frustrating and um they were pretty much in a in a state of tanking and now all of a sudden um things have turned around they almost stole um home ice advantage from the jets and they got that first round matchup and they've been moving forward since then and now which was they're in their stanley cup final (laughs) yeah that is upsetting i mean you know the jets i i like i like strong fan bases and the blues have shown that off, especially recently. Yeah. Um, St. Louis. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting town in terms it, of sports. As far as sports go, it's it's very interesting um, as, as far as how things translate from sport to sport because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean. With it's, the, the Cardinals. Yeah, with the Cardinals, <laughs> which, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because there's lots of sports towns that have – a pretty universal narrative like with boston and we're going to get into boston in a second oh yeah it's oh man it's a powerful sports city that has literally owned this century so far Mm um yeah you know the sim um going back yeah um the similarities i mean that's why as a hawks fan i was upset because the similarities the similarities that i saw between um (laughs) the Hawks season and the blue season this year. Right. Um, yeah. They both were really not good teams at the beginning of the season. It's crazy that they and were then in the same at place one point they literally yeah. both tanked and following that, you know, subsequently they both had, you know, uprises. They both, um, they both were in a position where they were consistently winning games and, and now they felt like and their coaching staff as well they both yeah. had coaching changes and they both went with that and they got something out of it and they kept going um and the hawks gave out at the end of the season and the blues got in and, and now we didn't get in we're talking about and, them and it's and almost, almost you yeah um but yeah those that's why ultimately um you are absolutely right in saying that the blues are um one of the hottest and honestly you know they they were a really hard working team this year yeah in in the league sure. and you don't see that every day yeah you know? it's 
it's a cool story. I mean, you know, I, I think that. And that's, again, that's coming from the perspective of a Blackhawks fan. Right. So it's coming from the perspective of a Hawks fan. It's hard to deal with. I think the thing that's interesting is, like I said, with sports towns, they generally have their uniform identity. St. Louis <laughs> kind of, for me, at least varies from that because the Cardinals are such a key franchise. Um, probably, you know, I hate to say this, but probably the marquee franchise in the National League in the MLB right now. I mean, not currently, but historically. <laughs> And, you know, they've they've won their giant fleet of World Series championships. And then on the other hand, you have a football team that left for L.A. And mm-hmm. now you have the Blues. And the Blues are, <laughs> you know, a pretty historic NHL franchise that hasn't had the success to back that up. And now they're in the final and now their fan base is built up. Um, yep. And that's been exciting to watch. So, I mean, you know, we, mm-hmm. root, we root for these small town you know, teams like the Jets or the Hurricanes or things like that because um, they're fun to watch and their fan bases are fun to watch. And, and they're underdogs and they create the right. culture. That the culture we, that's the modern that's culture. Yeah. I, I love, I love that the fan league doesn't culture. always see. I mean, that's why I'm a sports fan, but I love fan culture and teams that typically support the most of that. I tend to root for them a lot. And that's what the Jets were. And that's why I wanted them to beat the Blues. And, you know, over time, the Blues have built themselves a culture of their own. Mm-hmm. So that's the Blues going into the final. Um, on the other hand, you have the Bruins coming out of the East. We talked a little bit about them as far as their positioning in the playoff. I mean, to get to know them, I feel like it's it's pretty interesting how they have their own selection of stars that's kind of built up over, like, the 2010s as far as, like, yeah. what the Bruins are. Like, yeah. they, they have their, I guess, core that um, has been built together um, over the different periods of time that they've been successful since like 2010, they've kept um, um, they've kept they've kept different um, elements of the core, right? And you know, from time to time, they've brought in um, you know star players, um, especially after 2013. I remember. Um, yeah, I mean, 2013 um, is probably you know, the most Johnny Boychuk was back then a really big move from right. the I think. Um, I think he went. I he left the Bruins to go to the Islanders. I think, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, they they brought in different players and different players left, and um, you know, I mean, as far as the faces of the Bruins go, you know, um, Zidino, Zidino Chara, right. um, Brad Marchand, and mm. Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. Um, you know, those guys have stick those those guys have sticked around the whole time. Yeah, I think that it's um, interesting. They have some age on them. Um, being Hawks fans, it's kind of you're kind of familiar with relatable, what a, right? With what a core is, but the thing that's interesting with the Bruins is the Hawks was a core that was built in 2010 and basically remained untouched Before for the 2010, entire. Dude. And like, well, I mean, you know, when the Hawks are seven, back, eight, those were right. the, those were the core building years, mm-hmm. um, and that was the team, that was the leading aspect of the team throughout the entire dynasty. On the other hand, you have the Bruins, where they have a core that's kind of evolved, but you know, different players have kind of entered and exited that level um, as far as being a Bruin goes. So it's interesting mm-hmm. how they have a lot of experience on their team, but varying levels of experience. Um, and, and David Backus, by the yeah, way, yep. that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I'm because David Backus left St. Louis to go get a cup in Boston. Mm-hmm. You know, and now he's playing his team. 
his old team in the Stanley Cup final with his new team. One of my favorite storylines. And it's gonna like, be cool. That's that's incredible. Yeah. Um he he he's he had a rough time um with injuries and point production point production and stuff. Um but that that aspect of it is gonna be interesting. You know, mm-hmm. the the players, um, their individual stories, um, you know, and ultimately that's what the Stanley Cup is all about, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, basically, those are your teams going in here. Uh, Stanley Cup final. Um, we'll get started pretty soon here. So I think the only way to wrap this up um, in a justifiable way, I guess, is to make our predictions. So, Mark, what do you think is happening in the Stanley Cup final here? Oh, man. Okay. Well, um, you know, you brought up a really good point about um, the St. The, the city aspect of it right um and that's how i'm looking at it you know mm-hmm. because i mean these are you know these are two good towns um and um if 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 the blues win the cup they will cement themselves as that st louis team right because you know with the whole conversation about fan bases and the whole conversation about um um you yeah, know, the, I mean the the deal a cup with makes them become the St. Louis the Blues St. Team. Louis team, right? Um, you know, and considering um, their old football team, the Cardinals, um, all that stuff going on, you know, it you know they're in a drought for sure. And right. I, as tough as it is to say, you know, I would want to see St. St. Louis win the cup, right? Um, and because you know, I'm saying it as a Hawks fan, but. Um, um, you know they're I mean, in a drought, and like we're, we Hawks fans or we Chicago fans, frankly, know what a drought know is. Know what a drought is. I you mean, <laughs> so you could relate with that aspect of it. Twenty ten um, was the first Stanley Cup in forty nine years. This is their first Finals appearance in forty nine years. Yep. So and and then the you know, just just to talk about droughts, I mean, you know, it's forty nine years. Obviously, you know? obviously, Chicago fans know what droughts are. Um, for sure, just generally speaking, I mean, 108 is a big number. Mm-hmm. So, so I could say St. Louis from that point of view. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I also kind of want to see the Bruins win a cup, but like it's tough because you know we beat them in the Cup final in 2013, right? Know? Um, but to be fair, they did win a cup in 2011. That was a big one, and led to the uh, famous you know, riots of Vancouver. Yeah, <laughs> and Vancouver is never the same after that. So. Yeah. Um, they fall uh, face of the earth. But in terms of a prediction, I think it's St. Louis because if they pulled through from the second round and they treated the th- the conference finals the way they treated it, they'll mm-hmm. get the job done in the conf- in the Stanley Cup final. Okay. So for me, um, let's see. I said what I said about the Blues against the Sharks. The Blues outlasted the Sharks because of their somewhat um, their effective but somewhat conf- controversial physicality that they that they showed they got off. a lot of grit right no one's, no they have they one, have no a lot of grit deny no that, one's denying sure. that you know the the question is you know how much should refs get involved how does that work but i think you know i hope that they stay out of it to be honest because i because that's what defines playoff hockey for me for sure so, and that's the tough part about these championship seasons is that you know you know um what wins these championships is a combination of grit and skill right you know you need good teams you need good structure around the teams you need good coaching everything goes into these right teams um but from the players and their individual 
mindsets and the way that comes together um that's and that grit together with everything that's what that's what's going to win them right the trophy yeah i mean i I don't i don't think any sport does a better job of combining grit and skill in a playoff season than hockey does and that's what's going to have to win things for either team here so and that's because of a lot of reasons because of the speed because of how the sport works yeah and that's why we love it you know right exactly so like i said with the way that the blues won the previous series i think that the blues win if this series goes long and I kind of want to see the series goes long because generally if the longer a series is, the more exciting it tends to be. So, I mean, I guess I'm kind of rooting for the Blues. I don't know how I feel about it. I, I feel know, like, right? I yeah. feel like I feel like I'm rooting for them, but then immediately after I'm going to regret it because it's St. Louis. But, like, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, basically this game, this series, if it goes past five games, the Blues are winning. Mm. If it's below five games, the Bruins are winning. And it's gonna and a Bruins, um, it's gonna be defined here by how well they take advantage of games one and two at home. If they can, if they can, you know, and they can do that. They're perfectly. They they can totally do that. They're they're the better team as far as just matchups go. And I think that they're probably going into the playoffs. They're probably like the second best team in the league. Um, and I think that that's for good reason. And I think that that still remains true. I think that. Head to head, they're the better they're the better team in the matchup. But I mean, I think that um, as far as the things you can't quite, you know, just directly you, the things you can't really um, put down in numbers um, that the Blues have shown so far in the playoffs, it shows that the Blues are capable of outlasting the Bruins. Um, it's just a matter of can they allow the series to get that far? So. I'm so kind of point. I kind of the usual way I end up doing this I end up meeting in the middle, which is why I'm saying Blues in six. But I mean, yeah, I, I would expect either Bruins like sweep or win in five or the Blues take things um, later, later on. So it should be a fun series either way, though. It's, you know, just right from the beginning with game one on Monday. It's going to be crucial um, to see how, like I said, how the Bruins can handle their home ice and then once it gets to st louis it's going to be quite the passionate environment so yeah it's going to be a good series that's for sure so absolutely yeah mark thanks for being on the show as always um it was a great hockey season um you know when things pick up later in the future we'll probably have you on um again to cover the sport but things are wrapping up as we go into june it's crazy that it's all coming to an end both school and the season so yeah no it's yeah it's it's been a long year and um it's been a good hockey year yeah um i wish i put more um attention into it yeah a little bit more than i have i mean it, it's a little it's, bit it's been a very good less year. than i have mm. in recent years but yeah um yeah i hope to get back in it and i, I mean love hopefully to. the climax sure. of it works out to be really really um awesome so yeah um so that's the end of this let's sit down segment um just because we talked about culture and um mm-hmm you know fan culture and that's what we love about deep playoff runs um i played um dirty waters the entrance into this so we're gonna play gloria for st louis coming back out um i struggled to do this but at the same time i'm gonna give them a slight nod because yes they did end a drought and so um appreciate them for that although might not get too happy if they end up winning this thing so mark thanks for being on the show and um we'll send it back to me 
from the past. And like, thanks for having me, Joe. back hope you enjoyed that segment and we're gonna go right into they don't scout like this and uh the thing with they don't scout like this is uh, we're looking at kind of recent um rule slash like developments in the in um the pro sports leagues right now um and the two main ones the first one i want to get into is adam silver who was on the uh today show yesterday i believe and he talked about um Basically that, you know, lots of the um, entertaining basketball right now is in uh, the West and on the West Coast. And that's kind of an issue from a TV marketing perspective because a crazy like, you know, like 85, not, not 85, that's like high. But like the majority of the TV market is in the Eastern or Central time zone, like vast majority. So he has talked about potentially, you know, more commonly moving up west coast start time so that people are watching these marquee west coast games and you know you know they they can uh, you know live out their uh, brand before tvs typically shut off in the east at about eleven thirty. so i mean that's what he's been talking about and i feel like it's kind of an interesting development for sports in general because we've seen this somewhat over time in the west coast of course but um you know, it would be interesting if this is something that happens um, as commonplace where games are starting at like six Pacific and, you know, um, starting at eight or nine, only eight or nine Eastern as opposed to, you know, seven Pacific and it's starting at 10 on the East Coast. Yeah. But it's it's an interesting development. I think, you know, Adam Silver's really a smart commissioner. So it's always interesting to hear what he has to say about how his sport's going to change going forward. Yeah, like in the regular season, like you really don't see the teams like the Warriors until like if, unless it's like a Sunday primetime kind of deal on ABC, you really don't They're see them. Not often at all. Yeah, and typically so when like it is, it's because they're on the road and, right. you know, somewhere where it's more easy to see. And, you know, th- the big thing is lots of the exciting stuff in the NBA is happening in the West. And, you know, part of the reason why I have my East Coast bias that I have, like, the reason why is because I'm not as exposed to the West. I mean, you know, I, I enjoy the traditional nba teams in the east and we talked about that in the lottery about the lottery last week and all that stuff but i mean the truth is i would be a lot more inclined to um enjoy the western teams that are actually pretty good if i was more exposed to them so this would be kind of big i mean the other thing too i think that enforces this is um you know lebron james is in los angeles he's on the west coast now and he's moved out of the east coast um broadcasting market so this is something that's important even though the western the western kind of side of the country is growing and more and more people are moving out there and you know the tv market is growing the east 
is dominant in the amount of TV viewers that they have. So I think that until things kind of level out, um, it would be something I think probably beneficial to look at um, as far as, yeah, moving things up and um, making these West Coast games more accessible for um, the, the, you know, NBA fans in the Eastern and Central time zones, you know, out here. So um, I think it's something good move, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I just got to give credit to Adam Silver. Um, you know, we're we're about to talk about the NFL. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Roger Goodell. I'm not a huge fan of Gary Batman of the NHL. There's a lot of commissioners who I don't think have done a, as well of a do- job as they, they deserve to, yeah. deserve to be. And more importantly, I don't think they're held accountable for um, the bad things that they do. But Adam Silver has taken a league that I, you know, I have my own dislikes for the NBA, and I think that they're pretty reasonable. But the reason why they haven't resonated and the NBA is still one of the most successful leagues probably like the most successful league in recent memories because of Adam Silver's awesome leadership and ability to um make the make the NBA such a uh profitable market and such a you know welcoming I guess, I guess environment for anyone I guess right welcoming yeah. environment and just he's made very very smart decisions that's helped you know outweigh some of the flaws that the nba has for so many people and i think that he deserves a lot of credit for that and i think that you know he's definitely like i think the best commissioner um in the major sports right now um because of what he's doing um you know i wish that the sports that i'm more of a fan of i wish that you know the commissioners in those sports were um as good as adam silver's because if they were as good as adam silver's um you know the these sports would be you know way better than they even are now and who knows you know where football could be or where hockey could be if the leadership was as good as it is in the NBA with Adam Silver. So a lot of credit to him, and I think that this is another you know smart thing. It's interesting to hear what he has to say, for sure. Um, and then the other story is um, the NFL, um, those league changes. Basically, owners agreed, and the NFL eventually asked teams to end a um, small handful of drills um, that you know have become commonplace in football. Um, but are kind of moving out due to concussion concerns. Um, and, of course, we're talking about drills, most famously the Oklahoma, Oklahoma drill, yeah. um, which, you know, if anybody, you know, is any is in any way a fan of football, they probably know what the Oklahoma drill is. But it, it you know, it warrants uh, lots of concussions and lots <laughs> of, you know, head-focused sure. injuries. I mean, it's just the nature of the drill. So, basically, they're removing that and a couple other drills that are similar to that from – um, training camp practices um, to reduce risk of concussions. So I think that this is a good thing. I, mean, I think it's a good thing. I mean, people I, are going to, of think course, say they're taken away from the, the the nature of the sport, but I just think that I think it's with, such with a smart move. With the growing concerns of, of course, CTE and all all the head concerns that people have had, concussions are are just they've taken over the game more or less. That people are scared either first of all letting their kids play in the or play football to possibly then of course. This is also resulting in, I mean, I guess less less college players, I guess less high school players wanting to go to college. So the game could de- drastically change in the future with mm-hmm. less people heading through to college ranks. And, of course, there's still going to be talent going to the NFL, but there could be less overall participation. And we've already seen that in the lower levels. And I think it's it's it could be. It could change the game around and yeah, I'm I'm, I'm fascinated by the way that this problem should be handled because I think that you know like. Lots of lots of people saw the movie Concussion, um, Will Smith starring in a great movie. Um, but I think that at least my takeaway from that movie was not what 
was expected to be the takeaway from that movie, which is like football is a terrible sport for human health and we should stop playing it. But I felt like the bigger thing in concussion that was that, that I took away was the NFL just did a terrible job originally of handling it. And I think that there's a way where they could approach what is a very serious issue in a way that's beneficial. And I think that doing things like this is exactly the right thing to do. Um, It's a reasonable thing. I think it's pretty easy to ask um, coaches not to have these high impact drills in practices at training camp even. I mean, I think it's going to expand over time too. But, I mean, this is the type of action that we should have seen out of the NFL from the beginning. Um, The biggest thing too is I wish Roger Goodell was – you know, recognized the issue and how important it is, especially an important concern to football players, their parents, that type of thing, and that the NFL is going to do everything in their power to fix the issue. And it'll make people, you know, all I the mean, thing that yeah. they, all the things that they can between rule changes, you know, equipment development, all that stuff, that they're going to be taking, you know, an active role in um, improving upon uh, what is a big issue. So, you know, instead they they ignored it and they denied it and that was the issue but now they're doing something that uh, more falls in line with what i said uh, before which is you know the good thing that they should be doing which is taking taking action so this is i think this is a good thing that the nfl is doing um you know i don't often give the league so much credit so that's you know it's yeah, a good thing away, when the nfl is making, making a good isn't si- a good look either yeah. so um so it's it's a good thing when the nfl is making good decisions so yeah, I, I, I think that this is a good one and being at the top of the Top top of the football world that it's just it's uh, it's something that like you said through the movie concussion and of course we've seen the NFL not take those actions that they need to that they needed to take and I think that if they do start taking these actions it can make parents I guess for younger it children slowly less turn hesitant. things back around they could turn it back around that the league is that the game of football they are the NFL of course specifically are taking actions for all levels I mean and they could be advocates for for the rest of for youth football too to say. Hey, look! That's what we have. We have to change the way we do drills, even like you said, at all levels. And of course, I do Oklahoma drills at with youth kids. But like, I'm right. just saying, either way, like the impacts of of games and stuff, trying to uh, better technology and stuff like that. There always could be a way to, I mean, stay innovative and be up to date with with the newest technology to prevent kids from kids or even um, players in the NFL from from long-lasting injuries and this is a good step for them and it's a better look from what we've seen of course in the past so for sure this is a better look for them yeah Mm -hmm. okay let's move on to your scouting and for your scouting um as always make sure to send in your questions for next week 224-544-9330 let me get the phone out here um we got a variety of calls this week um and yeah we got um two of them we're gonna play right now so let's go into those and um yeah variety of topics that were covered so um (laughs) that's for sure um here we go hey long time call first time listener uh the preakness was this weekend and i lost all my money on horse gambling you know i've all my money on owendale and wild whale one so (laughs) now now that i'm broke i'll hang up on listen Okay, that's too bad that Carson's broke, but I guess he's broke. <laughs> um, the Preakness did happen. It was kind of the most irrelevant Preakness I've ever seen because um, Country House, the winner of the Kentucky Derby, was not in it, or Maximum Security, the, um, the winner that was ultimately disqualified. 
Um, you know, lots of controversy in that that we talked about on the show. But, you know, normally the Preakness is exciting because it's the next leg of the Triple Crown and there could be a potentially a chance at a Triple Crown at the Belmont Stakes. But it kind of lost um, its relevance because of that, which is unfortunate. I barely watched it. Um, you know, I, I probably flipped the channel to it one time and it wasn't even during the race. And then I, I watched the race on YouTube afterwards. But the big thing about it was uh, War of Will won it. You know, just just shout out to that horse. Um, you know, a great win. And he actually was part of the scuffle in the Kentucky Derby. So, you know, another horse who was involved in that actually coming out and winning. Um, but the, I thought the most exciting part, though, was um, soon internet favorite Bodie Express, who uh, whose jockey fell off. Um, fell off of him like a second into the race, and yeah. he he ran the rest <laughs> of the race. Yeah. That, um, was, that was actually I and I I've never see seen live. that. I've never seen that before. Yeah, I didn't um, see it. Li- did you see that live? I didn't see it live. I, but I saw it after. It like, was what the heck happened here? But. It was it was hilarious, and you know I think that normally when things like that happen, you know the horses still kind of run, but they eventually stop. <laughs> this horse ran the rest of the race, and even when yeah, they tried to retrieve him near the end, he just ran faster and um, ended up crossing the finish line. Of course, he's disqualified but um the if, guy fell off if like he right away win, right? i feel like you know there would be another controversy here but it was it was pretty fun to watch if you guys haven't seen that definitely look it up on youtube i mean you know it's a horse race it's Who's, three minutes so it's yeah. it's fun to watch but yeah um Bodie express uh, you know finishing the race competing without a jockey he was actually moving up um into the pack for like a certain period of time it was actually Kind of, of fun to watch. Yeah, I saw. I watched the whole. I think the, the jockey fell off right out of the gate. So, like, like very, very, very early. Yeah. So I, he was going around the outside. He was on the, the track, outside, so and then he started creeping he started, in uh, and started passing. Yeah, people. Yeah, got a, a little exhausted at the end, but to pass people without a jockey, that was kind of, kind of funny to watch. I, I just, I can only imagine what it would be like to be a jockey on one of the other horses, and then take a look over at the horse <laughs> next to you, it's and not, it's yeah. just a horse. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely one of my favorite things that um, happened in sports this week. So another thing, check always, that out. It always seems like that all these horse races, it's bad weather too. Like I saw it when I watched it, I'm yeah, like, it was raining there. I've, I've Kentucky Derby's always raining. I don't I'm know starting what's to wonder happening. about that. It's it's. I think the difference is it's either beautiful, it's either like the most perfect weather of all time, or it's rainy. Like yeah. that's just there's it's no in between. between. It's just one or the other. But yeah, but yeah. Um, it's been. A, it was a weird practice though. I didn't watch it, but it just. Just seeing like what what's led up what what I guess led up to this with maximum security and of course we thought he's gonna be the winner and then we saw what happened there but leading up to this it has been kind of a bizarre turn of events for for horse racing and I don't know what I don't know I guess what do you think since for the next triple crown um, I, guess. I have There's no, no idea. triple crown stake now so yeah I mean that's unfortunate but with the Belmont it's I mean it's the longest race of course of the triple crown. Um, it's kind of undervalued be- simply because, you know, unless there's a horse that's won both the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness, you know, not that many people are tuning in. So, I mean, I don't know what the card is looking like yet um, and what horses will be on it, but um, should be pretty interesting. It's just such a weird year for horse yeah, racing. And I kind of feel bad for them just because they kind of threw away their season at what is normally the start of the season in the Kentucky Derby. I mean, even though it's the biggest race in the sport, like, you know, it's, it's the beginning. It's the yeah. beginning of the Triple Crown season, and you know, it kind of all ended right there. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens in the Belmont. That's what in two weeks. It's like t- they're all like two weeks apart. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens there. But um, yeah, definite shout out to Bodie Express because that was an awesome performance. Yeah. Um, okay, let's get into our next call. Next one, Shaw, I believe. Yeah, it is. Hey, Julian, Michael. Hey, this is yeah. uh, AJ Shaw. Long-time caller, first-time listener. <laughs> Ooh, um, taking a book, taking a line on a Blondie's book. Baseball team coming into the postseason. Thanks. 
Okay, Scouts Baseball. Um, you know, he's Shaw's covering it on the Four Scout. Check that out as always. Um, the biggest thing you, about you know Lake Forest High School baseball, and um, I've done a lot of editing for Shaw's work um, over the season, so I've gotten at least a little bit of a taste of this baseball team. They are a um, an exciting team, and I think that they're a team to look out for going you know very very deep um, in this playoff run. And the reason why is because I feel like they're always performing consistently well. The way that we've talked we talked about early on the show with the Cubs that the way we want them to perform, where they're taking two steps forward, one step back, and I think that they that the scouts sometimes are taking more steps forward than just two. Um, but the biggest thing for me is their heroes in every game. You know, it's a different player stepping up. That's that's the really cool thing that you know when I'm seeing um, you know Shaw give the um, give the baseball updates. It's it's super apparent to me that the scouts are winning games, but it says it's at the result of lots of different players on what is a pretty um, fun team for that reason. There's just, there's just so many different players who can step up at any given time. And that's, what's been happening so far this year. So So it's, it's something you want for sure. And I think that's why you got to look out for them because that's, what's especially encouraging. So um, yeah, shout out to Lake Forest scouts. Thanks for the question, Shaw. Yeah, for sure. As always, um, check out his stuff on the dugout. Um, he had coach, coach um, David Holmes, David Holmes yeah. on this I week. Listen to that um, yesterday. episode five. I listened to it that last was a good week, one um, yesterday too. Um, yeah, great. You know, good he, stuff. Good, Shaw. good work as always. Um, and yeah, I think we should move on to just wait till next week. And uh, my just wait till next week is simply just I can't wait to watch. I can't wait to watch more Cubs and then uh, the Stanley Cup final. Um, it's a very, very fun matchup between two classic franchises, one of which, you know, wh- which has been a very, very long drought. I mean, of course, as, you know, a Hawks fan, you know, you don't really want to root for the St. Louis Blues. Um, but, you know, Chicago fans have had their, their, you know, experience with droughts. So it's somewhat uh, relatable and, you know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, it's a good Bruins team too, and it should be a fun matchup to watch once things get started on Monday. The Blues have never won either, right? They haven't won. This are they is the part first of the original six? Or were they first time in the finals in 40, uh, 49 years, I think. I don't know if they – I think they're part of that next um, yeah. wave of teams. They're, they're part so of that next wave of teams, but they're the longest – long time. They're the longest and th- – yeah, they're the longest team that has – been in the league, that, in hasn't the league that hasn't won, and that's a super important thing to note. I mean, the other thing, too, is this is a rematch from the 1970 Stanley Cup final, which resulted in one of the most famous pictures in sports. Right. Of course, Bobby Orr um, diving over the net after his um, Game 7 overtime goal, which is iconic. So it's a rematch of that. Um, Even though it's St. Louis, do we I know. don't want to see a Boston team win another another championship in, yeah. in this kind of same season. So we've seen yeah. the Patriots. I mean, they, they're just so now, dominant. Yeah, it's crazy. We, Patriots, Red Sox, now with the Bruins. I just... I'm kind of done with Boston right yeah. now. I don't want to see another win. I think that'll be cool. <laughs> Even though it's St. Louis, it's it would still be it would be fun. Be better for the I mean, sport. I'm, for I'm loving I'm loving the, the the passion that we're seeing, and you know I, I I love passion and fan bases no matter where they come from, unless it's Philadelphia. Actually, never yeah. mind. That's the one exception. Forget Philadelphia. <laughs> but everywhere else, passion and, and fan bases are too. fun, can, no matter where. Um, so you know. St. Louis is no exception. I will I will simultaneously hate everything they stand for in the <laughs> world of baseball, but um, you know, hey, they they have a fun hockey team this year, and they you know they're kind of due for something exciting to happen to that franchise because they've been fighting for a good long time, and I feel like they're kind of an unofficial, um, you know, original six Chicago familiar team yeah. that you know has really stood up to those like franchises as far of, as yeah. like hist- historic presence. So I mean, you know, I've always said. 
with the whole conference alignment thing, and you know, I've been annoyed about it because of the Hawks and the Wings and um, the different conferences. I've always said the ideal division is all the original six teams in St. Louis. Like that, I've always thought like that'd that be would really, be, that'd be so that cool. would be perfect. I mean, kind of a Chicago perspective that's a little bit biased, but like still, it would be it would be a huge blast. And the reason you know, since I'm saying that, that obviously gives credit to the St. Louis Blues, and so. Um, you know, hey, good luck to them. I probably will start to regret saying that if I see happy St. Louis fans, but we'll see what happens. So, and also where they, I'm excited to watch it. Anyway. Where they were too in end of January or was the beginning of January? Whatever they were in, in January, they were. Yeah, they they were, were so far off. The bottom that's, of the I mean, we talked about division, it. one of the hottest so. teams, like ever, actually, to be honest, like one of the hottest teams of all time. They were they were completely off the beaten path so. in January. That. And that's not that long ago, as crazy as that seems. So if they lose, I guess I won't feel too sorry for them because St. Louis. Yeah, but they do win, I guess I. Yeah. I'll be a little more, a little more I mean, tolerant to St. Yeah. Louis this time around. So is that what you're looking forward to at this point too? I'm kind of looking forward to, of course, the Cubs. They're always up there. Yeah. But I think the NBA Finals. That'll be interesting to see whoever whoever the Warriors uh, versus a small team. Yeah, a small yeah. team. That'll be a new element that we've seen that we haven't seen. And I just think I'm looking forward to more of the lead up to the draft and the free agency, but that's still a little it's still a, a little, little bit, ways out. A little in the distance, but the free agency is a big That's going to be more and, in, entertaining, know. I think, than the actual finals. Yeah, but th- that would have been the first story that is that wasn't on the show today. So, But yeah. I think if – I just pray that one of these teams can from the East can win, but I, it's a long shot. But, I mean, I guess that's what makes a good story all the time in sports. So we'll have to see what happens. And anything can happen still, even though, of course, the Warriors probably will get Kevin Durant back. But who knows? They could play worse with them. That sounds crazy to say, but they – They've been playing so well without him. It, who knows it, what could happen? And we've seen that at times with Kevin Durant. I mean, it's a good problem to have, but of course, with him taking over the game, sometimes other guys aren't getting the the minutes or the shots they want, and they can go cold at the same time. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a good problem for them to have, though. I mean, yeah. they'll, they'll I be mean, fine either way. Shout out to Shaw. He has an article coming up on just this topic of the NBA free agency, which is a big period. Um, and yeah, so that's an upcoming article. Uh, get ready for that, guys. You know, a little sneak peek into what's coming. There's a big article that I have coming out too. So, Good yeah, stuff. that's all yeah. we got today. Congrats for sticking through, listening to this whole thing. Uh, subscribe to listen as always on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public. It's the easiest way to listen to the show. Um, give us a positive review. Um, subscribe to watch on YouTube, um, guys. We only have a couple weeks left. Let's pick things up here <laughs> um but of course read the four scout a lot of good articles to take a look into um so get ready for another week of sports scouts next week and as always in the meantime we'll keep on scouting see you guys later, see you guys later.